Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. Well, it's no secret that the state of Alaska has struggled to provide appropriate treatment options for kids who experience significant mental health problems. Often, these youth end up in out-of-state treatment programs or get caught up in the juvenile justice system. One intervention that is not widely discussed are therapeutic foster homes. These specialized foster homes offer an alternative to inpatient treatment for youth who struggle with emotional and behavioral problems. Unlike traditional foster homes, therapeutic or treatment foster homes are run by foster parents who go through significant training and work as part of an interdisciplinary team. These homes work to provide an individualized, community-based treatment approach with the goal of returning children to their homes. Please join us over the next hour uh, for an informative discussion and learn if you might have what it takes to make a difference in the life of an Alaskan child. My guests today are both joining me from Denali Family Services. Uh, Dan Bigley is the CEO and president there, and uh, Josh Geary is the director of Therapeutic Foster Care Services. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. I appreciate you both taking the time to join me. Yeah, thanks, Prentice. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. Uh, I guess starting off, we met a few months ago, seems like maybe in the spring, um, and we talked a little bit or quite a bit about primarily about child abuse and neglect and some of the impacts on development of early childhood trauma. And uh, so we got a chance to dig into that. So if people want to sort of augment this show, they can go back and listen to that one. I think it was called, it was for Child Abuse Prevention and Intervention Month. Mm -hmm. um, and we really dug into a lot of the impacts of that early childhood trauma and, and on development and security and attachment and all those things. So we're not going to dig too much into that today um, because last time at the end of the show we sort of touched on some of the interventions and what I really want to focus on today is two approaches um, primarily therapeutic foster homes and wraparound services two unique sort of uh, intervention strategies that uh, I don't think a lot of the community is probably very aware of um, we know about inpatient treatment and out of patient, outpatient treatment options, which there aren't many in the state. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to really sort of dig into that. But uh, Dan, maybe you can uh, start off, just give us a little bit of your background. You can do it kind of briefly uh, because people know you. You've been on a few times. <laughs> um, and what you're doing at Denali Family Services uh, these days. Sure, yeah. So, been working in the field of behavioral health um, in Anchorage uh, since about 2003. Um, started as a direct service provider, um, and then in 2009 started working in uh, therapeutic foster care um, within the context of a full mental health wraparound services program at, at Denali Family Services and uh, worked for about a decade as the clinical director there and, and then just this past year taking over as, as the CEO. Um, yeah, sort of really have a pretty vested interest in the well-being of children and families in Alaska. And I think, you know, that's kind of what we're here to touch on today and talk about is, you know, things have changed a lot. Um, 
and even in just recent years since the um, the pandemic hit. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. All right, Josh. Yeah, so I've been in the field for probably 12 years now. Um, I started when I was 19 years old. Um, I was actually going to Alaska Pacific University on this campus, um, getting my bachelor's degree in psychology. I also had a lot going on in my life at that time, and I was realizing that I needed to kind of start to support myself. So I went and got a job at the Domestic Violence Sexual Assault Shelter in Palmer, Alaska, and I worked there for you know, four years or so. At 19, you went and did that? Yeah, at 19. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thrown into the fire. Yeah. I was, yeah. And then I got pulled into family violence intervention. Um, I was doing uh, anger management classes at North Star. Um, and I realized through that that, uh, you know, there was a lot of benefits in working with kids, especially kids who were at risk or had experienced some trauma in their lives. Um, and I found that really compelling. So I, you know, started looking into that. Plus I saw an overlap between Denali Family Services and kids that were residing in the domestic violence shelter or were coming through North Star. Um, so I started working as a direct service provider at Denali Family Services and then did that for about two years as I was finishing my bachelor's degree. And then I went on to foster care department and now I'm the director um, in the foster care department at Denali Family Services. And we basically oversee the foster care program. We hire, train, license, um, you know, really make sure that the uh, the homes are safe and the children are safe as we place the youth in the homes. So that's a lot of what we do, is just overseeing the program. All right, so the two of you have been there for a while pretty consistently. I mean, there's a lot of people, your staff, that have been there for a long time. Um, Pete Houston's still there, right? Mm -hmm. He is, yeah. yeah. He's been there forever. Um, that's a really a, a sign that you have something really good going when there's not a lot of turnover. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good culture, really good group of people. You know, fundamentally, we're all just people who want to make a difference uh, in the world and in our communities. And we love working with kids, uh, you know, no matter what sort of challenges they're experiencing, whatever their backgrounds are, they're just a lot of fun to, to spend to spend time with. Um, you know, we always say that, you know, our work, regardless what sort of treatment interventions we're using, regardless what the diagnosis, it always really comes back to the relation starts and ends with the relationship that you have with the kid mm -hmm. in terms of making a difference. And I think you know, regarding what we're talking about today, the role of the therapeutic foster parent, um, it, you know, and the difference that they can make in the life of a kid. At Denali, we always talk about how, you know, they might come in for an hour of therapy, but um, it's the other 23 hours a day that where the therapeutic foster parent comes in. And that, right. that can be a super powerful relationship that has a large uh, potential for impacting change on a child's life. So yeah. it can be really meaningful work for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. As a therapist, um, I get a kid in my office for 50 minutes, 55 minutes a week, mm -hmm. and then I haven't counted up the minutes what a therapeutic foster parent gets with a child, <laughs> but there are a lot of minutes. And I've done both roles. Like, I was a therapeutic foster parent for 15 years um, and worked with three different uh, kids over that time period. So. Uh, I'll share a little bit about that as we move forward and what some of the rewards are um, from my perspective. It's been a lot of years, but it was a, uh, a powerful time in my life and a time of great growth and, you know, education uh, for me and working with youth and, and especially kids who are struggling with, um, you know, childhood abuse and a 
attachment stuff, which so many of these kids are. All right, uh, I forgot to uh, give out our contact numbers. If you're just joining us, uh, my guests are Dan Bigley and Josh Gary from uh, Denali Family Services, and we are talking about therapeutic foster care. Um, if you have a question for our guests or a comment, if you want to share a story about your own experience as a foster parent or in foster care, there are three ways to connect with us. If you are in the Anchorage area, our phone number is 907-550-8433. That's 907-550-8433. If you're listening outside of Anchorage, be it Bethel, Orlando, or anywhere in between, you can reach us toll free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to join us is to email your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. Got to spell out line1, L-I-N-E-O-N-E. Usually people wait until the last 10 minutes of the show to call in, and then I run out of time. So if you have a question about therapeutic foster care, how you get involved, um, you know, you want to talk about an experience, please don't hesitate to to, or to give us a call and reach out to us today. All right. Um with that note out of the way. So I guess let's start with um, what's the level of need here in the state of Alaska? Like we were talking beforehand, some of the numbers of foster homes and the pandemic impact. Um, Josh, can you give us a number, like an idea of of what we're taught? Is there a huge need for this? Has there been a reduction? Um, What's going on with the numbers? Sure. Uh, prior to the pandemic, there was a huge need for foster parents, and then you saw the increased stress that happened. I mean, you can imagine, uh, I think the pandemic was difficult for all parents. And then you um, take into account the trauma and the level of need that some of these kids have, and you're talking about schools being closed or very right. limited. You're talking about daycares being closed or very limited. You're talking about not a lot of community supports. Um, so I think there was a huge amount of turnover during the time between 2019 and uh, the beginning of this year. And there was also a lot of apprehension for parents coming on to be new foster parents. So you saw the typical turnover that happens maybe increased, um, but also apprehension that limited the amount of foster parents that were coming on. I don't think anyone was really thinking, hey, this is a great time for me to become a foster parent with the state of Alaska. Mm-hmm. So we saw you know, numbers that were... Uh, Prior to the pandemic, it was um, over a 1,000 non-child-specific homes, meaning homes that are open to taking any youth. And then I think most recently it was down to mid-600s in in those. And, um, you know, I looked at different statistics. It looked like there was about um, a 25% decline in total foster homes. And then if you look at that, uh, you know, those non-child-specific homes, there was even more of a decline there. Potentially as much as like 40% yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, significant decline. What's a non-child specific? A non-child specific home means that they're getting licensed just to be a foster parent for any uh, any youth that's in the state of Alaska custody. Oh, not, I mean, I not kinship. Not a yeah. specific child. Yep. So a lot of homes, about half homes, half of the homes get licensed because they have a relationship with the right. child. Gotcha. You know, it's kinship care or maybe a teacher and a student, uh, things of that nature. Okay, so just people who want to say we're open, send us yep. a yeah. kid in need. And and I think it's important to point out, too, the kind of broader context of, you know, mental health in the United States and mental health in our communities. 
as we look at the decline in the capacity, uh, particularly for therapeutic foster care or, or in, in just more broadly foster care in general, I mean, even before the pandemic, like if we go back from 2011 to current, you know, the number of youth in uh, foster care in Alaska has seen a dramatic increase, um, somewhere in the ballpark of like 93% increase. And so already when looking at, you know, the overall well-being of children in, in our community, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and then you throw on the sort of conditions um, and, and the stressors that the pandemic provided just on the mental health needs of not just this population, but really just all children. Right. I mean, right now it's being described as a mental health crisis, where as many as 40% of teenagers are reporting persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. Over 51% of parents reporting that they have significant concerns about the mental health of their children. That's kind of unprecedented, and it's coming at a time where uh, particularly for the foster care system and the therapy to foster care system, we just have this diminished capacity at a time where the need is really uh, being described as at, at crisis levels. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't get kids into Providence um, that were suicidal. And we we all read the stories out of Colorado and in, in other states where their systems were overflowing and, and way beyond capacity and they weren't able to serve the youth. So. Um, and we know the the problems during the pandemic with depression and anxiety and addictions flaring up and eating disorders. I mean, it was across the board. You pick something, all this isolation and the lack of connection that we had um, as a as humans um, really took its toll. So, all right. So the numbers have increased, mm -hmm. the need has increased, and the providers or the options have decreased. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a lot of what today's program is about and why Dan reached out to me was like, we got to get the word out that there is a significant need in our community for qualified people who want to open their homes to some of these kids and really help them. Um, Absolutely. And Prentice, if I might real fast too, I think it's also important to kind of look at who we are as far as like what, when we're talking about therapeutic foster care, or Denali Family Services, AK Child and Family, you know, any of the providers providing this service, um, how we fit into the, the continuum of care um, to kind of understand what therapeutic foster care is. Because in that continuum, you sort of have your traditional outpatient clinic, you know, where, like you said, kind of an hour a week of, of therapy services, maybe two. Um, and then, you know, at the higher end of the the continuum, you have residential treatment centers, um, acute psychiatric hospitalization, you know, out of state uh, residential treatment centers, and so what we're providing and what many of the the providers are are working to do um, that are providing therapeutic foster care is keep kids in their communities, keep them out of residential treatment centers, keep them in state, connected to their home schools, connected to their peers and, and family members, um, and so unlike the sort of one hour a week therapy model, like we're with kids in schools, we're with kids in the community after schools, we're providing services in the home, in our clinic, a full suite of therapy and psychiatric services. So we can be with a kid sometimes, you know, 40 hours a week potentially, and that's not even counting all the time in the therapeutic foster home. So it's a really high level of service that we're able to provide to help keep kids in their home communities. Now, um, Josh, is that what, uh, what Dan's speaking to is that really what we're talking about when we say wraparound services. It is, yeah. And those are provided 
both outside of, of if a kid's not in foster home, they can get wraparound services. And if they are in foster care, they can still get those wraparound services. So let's go ahead and get the wraparound services. What is that? Um, let's get that piece out of the way and then we can get back to the therapeutic homes specifically. Sure. Yeah, and Dan could fill in too as well. Um, but wraparound services essentially are school, community, and in the home. So you're looking at three kind of elements of a child's life and providing services within that. So we have you know clinicians who are master level clinicians who are providing therapy to the youth. We also have case managers who are there to support the youth, support the family. They also are looking at you know alternative services or help with you know uh, support systems and things of that nature. And then we, you have the foster home that does, you know, the they're like the agent of change. They're also doing, you know, most of the work with the youth and spending most of the time with the youth. Um, and then we have the school-based services, community and school-based services. So um, behavioral health associates who are working in the community, uh, working in the schools, um, kind of being the one-on-ones per se, the direct service providers. And they're really trying to teach the youth, you know, healthy coping skills. And everyone, I mean, the the foundation of all this is that we're all working together on the same treatment plan to mm-hmm. establish. We're looking at the behaviors of the youth and what their goals are and what they need to be successful. And we're all working together in, you know, all of those facets um, to essentially help um, the child develop in their behavioral health issues. Yeah. And, and at Denali, we're providing everything from sort of the early childhood um, social, emotional, all the way through to, you know, transition to independence for our adolescent um, all the way through age 21. Um, so really, you know, the entire um, spectrum of childhood and, and adolescence. And of course, really integrating families as much as we can uh, into that. And Josh mentioned our therapy services. So kind of providing, you know, anything from child-centered play therapy all the way through to like trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, family therapy, group therapy, et cetera. So. Okay. We have, uh, let's go to our first, uh, phone call. We have uh, June in Anchorage. You're on line one. Go ahead. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I I worked uh, in the Bering Straits region, and um, I was able to have our tribal organizations, 19 villages, to pass children's codes um, to put um, children in priority who are under foster care and stuff like that. But it was really hard for me to get... um, licensed tribal homes because of the mm. state of Alaska had variances on homes mm. like gun locks and behavioral issues and things like that and it was really hard for me to do that um, I'm hoping that um, right now it's easier for um, tribal foster homes to be established here up in Alaska um, I know I work with the state of Alaska uh, on the variances on homes and things like that, um, but it was really, really tough for me to do that. Um, I'm a natural, um, I don't have any licenses or anything like that, but I'm, I'm a natural, a child person or things like that. But. Um, are there issues being addressed now about behavioral issues? Because there's stigma attached to foster kids these days. 
and people are afraid that um, if they take on a foster child, you know, there's some issues that's going to be attached to them. All right, June. Well, thank you so much for that call. And I think you bring up a great question about because Alaska is so vast and the idea is to keep these kids in their communities. Um, and, uh, you know, working with the AYI program, the Alaska Youth Initiative program back in the 90s when I first moved here, we would have a lot of kids from Native communities, villages that would come into Anchorage to get in a foster home. But that's not much different than getting sent to Montana. Like, I mean, as far as if you're coming from New Stoyahawk um, up the river, it's not much different. So uh, we are at our first break. So I do want uh, the two of you to answer that question. That's a great point that June brings up. And, and a lot of these homes don't pass all the the test requirements and mm. this water, whatever, you know, and, mm. you know, the, so what's being done to, to address that problem. And then I do want to get to Danielle. Um, I'll take her question when we come back from our break. So, but if you're just joining us today, my guests are Dan Bigley and Josh Geary from Denali Family Services. Josh is the director of therapeutic foster care, and Dan is the president and CEO. If you have a question for my guests or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our Anchorage phone number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free, 1-888-353-5752. And our email is line one at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation about therapeutic foster care. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you are just joining us, my guests today are Dan Bigley and Josh Geary from Denali Family Services. We are discussing therapeutic foster care, the uh, ins and outs of it, and the need that we have to have um, more people step up into this important role. Um, if you have a question for my guests or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call, send us an email. In Anchorage, we can be reached at 907-550-8433, toll-free at 1-888-353-5752, and our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. Um, Danielle, you have a uh, 
a question for my guests. Go ahead. You're on line one. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, my question was kind of piggybacking on um, the lady up before me when she was asking about um, help just getting certified. But my question was for people who have considered foster care, but they're scared of the responsibilities or just worried about um, how to handle situations or, you know, so my <clears throat> things of that nature. My question was, do is there support for new foster care parents as far as um, what issues may come up and how to um, just support them in their journey of um, becoming one or continuing to? All right, Danielle, that's uh, that perf is perfect. It saves me the time of asking that question because that's uh, on the list of questions. So that was a great fastball. Um, Thank you for calling. She's calling from Homer, so I think that's relevant to note because there, like I said, I mean that's on the road system, but there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, like travel, and most of the stuff is centered in Anchorage, uh, unfortunately. So, um, Josh, you can uh, field this one, and um, I get what she's talking about—the fear, the anxiety. Am I going to be out on an island by myself with this kid who's tearing up my house? Or, um, but what do you? What's your answer to Danielle? Yeah, sure. So I could touch on both kind of questions as well. I mean, there's there. I know there's a lot of, um, you know, difficulty. It's always been a conundrum to not only find new foster homes, but also ensure that the foster homes that we bring on are the right fit for our program. And then at the state level that are going to be safe for for the youth, because the last thing we want to do is re-traumatize youth. Um, So it's while it's there's a huge need, there's also you know a pretty substantial licensing process for us. There's a pretty substantial training process for us. Um, so we want to ensure that the the homes that are coming on are fit to actually meet the level of need that these youth have. And so they have to go through a 30-hour pre-service training that we do, um, and we do pretty extensive background checks, interview processes, reference checks. It's similar to um, taking on a you know, a mental health position, a mental health job uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but we focus on a lot of that. And then also there's, we kind of tell our foster parents that um, if they are apprehensive, you know, they can learn more information. We'll walk them through it. We don't, it's not like, you know, they go through the training and there's immediately a youth on their doorstep, um, you know, waiting to call them mom and dad. Uh, we, we go through um, quite a bit of a matching process as well, um, where they get to read through all of the behavioral health, uh, you know, treatment um, records and review, you know, review all their health records. They also do meet and greet processes. Um, so they get to talk to pretty much everyone involved, you know, the, the treating clinician uh, to learn about behaviors prior to placement. Um, so it's, it is, you know, obviously always scary, but um, there, there are things that we do to try to lessen that. And then there's, you know, decreased caseloads. Um, you know, within um, our our agency, meaning that, you know, we don't we only have ten homes on our on our caseload, meaning that we can get out to the home more frequently. We can field calls. There's a 24-hour crisis line. Um, the clinician and case manager are more readily available to support and help in any way. 
Um, and then a lot of our homes start out when, if they're they're nervous about it, they start out providing respite, which mm-hmm. if they're not familiar with, is you're providing kind of a break for a full time foster parent. I mean, usually it typically looks like the weekends. So two weekends a month, you have a kid that is in foster care already in a full time placement come into your home to give you know the child a break. Um, so it really helps establish long term you know placements. It, it, it kind of lets everyone blow off steam. Um, so it's a really a way of supporting the youth and supporting the families. Um, so parents can always start there. Yeah, it seems like a lot of emphasis is put on finding a right match mm-hmm. and a right fit um, at the start so that you don't have kids moving in and out of homes. I know as a therapeutic foster parent, when I started this process, they asked me to take a, a child-specific um, kid that I used to work with as a family support person out in the valley and he moved to Anchorage and I was in Anchorage and they said will you take him and I said no way like I'm not I'm not signing up for that and then I thought more about it and it was through uh, assets which is another organization that I don't know if they're still doing it but I believe they are Um, and I was I was impressed with the amount of training um, that we got and you know, I had a lot of experience working with behaviorally challenged kids, so that wasn't, and I didn't have any children of my own at the time and was a, you know, a single guy, so it's not just for families, a therapeutic foster home, mm-hmm. um, and it was a really good fit, and he ended up living with me until he was 25. I had to transition into an adult-assisted living facility to keep him past a certain age, but he really became a part of my family mm-hmm. um, because it never did work out for him to go back home, but his mother was really involved, his family was involved, um, and I got great support from the agency. We had a person would come out to my house at least once a week. I had uh, respite care was set up. I had um, you know, additional time. People would come pick him up from school and take him out to do community activities. Um, it was, so it was really, I was not just had a kid left on my, porch with all of their stuff and said good luck it was um really so hopefully danielle that that answers uh some of your question that it really is a team approach um dan yeah i just really appreciated the question as well and i think you know we're hitting on all the the all the main things that really could be barriers or make it uh, significantly more challenging. And that is, you know, those questions of, uh, do I have what it takes? Am I going to be prepared? Am I going to know what to do? Um, Am I going to feel alone and isolated? And I think that, you know, if you're doing this on an island and you don't have that support, it it can be very challenging and and it can feel very alone. Um, Part of trauma-informed care is making sure that people have that community of support, that you never have that sense of, of isolation. Um, and so kind of that, coming from the clinician, the case manager, our behavioral health associates, uh, your licensing specialists, and then you know the tremendous amount of training uh, and support that you're getting in terms of understanding that, hey, you might see some um, scary behaviors that things that are unsettling but we always say you know in our trainings like hey that's not a scary kid that's a scared kid Mm. Um, and really helping them to understand that the behavior that you're seeing in the room in the classroom when they're you know throwing the chair or you know saying negative things towards an adult um, only 10 percent like if you're trying to understand where that behavior is coming from why is this child behaving this way 
10% of it has to do with what's in the room with you in that moment. And 90% has to do with the trauma in the background uh, of that child's life, all the stressors that are going on that are not in the room with you. And so it really helps parents, I think, depersonalize uh, those behaviors um, and really remember, oh yeah, just the best thing I can do is to regulate myself, stay calm and to be present with this child and going back to that relationship. Like I said earlier, it always comes back to that relationship with this kid. All right. I have, um, I want to get back to my earlier caller cause I don't think we really addressed that. And I have, um, another email that sort of lines up perfectly with it. Uh, it says, good morning. Thank you for the discussion. Can you ask your guests how many Alaska native children are in state foster care, um, and their experience with ICWA, uh, what tribes or villages, what can they do to keep their tribal members in their respective cultural settings? And that's kind of what I was touching on earlier. We're pulling kids from the village and, uh, you know, putting them in foster homes in Anchorage. Um, what is, that's, it seems like a huge problem logistically and, you know, finding the right homes in their communities. Um, what's being done and, and are you all doing, and it goes into Danielle's call, like she's in Homer. Do, do you have homes in Kenai, Homer, uh, Ketchikan? And then that, I mean, this seems like a huge question. <laughs> uh, so Josh, no pressure. <laughs> Yeah, can I just defer to Dan at yeah. this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a huge question, and it is a huge problem, and you know, I think it really is a problem that's system wide. Um, you know, I think that really to understand the nature of the problem in terms of hey, why don't we have more tribal homes? Why don't we have more homes in rural settings? I mean, there there are some that are doing it. You know, I don't mean to pretend that there are, are none um, in terms of foster homes in in rem more remote settings outside of sort of our hubs, but um, I think there's a lot of cultural issues here, going back to like the, the trauma that was created with the boarding schools and sort of the removal of children from communities. It's, it's something that we're very sensitive to. And so, no, I don't think that there are any great um, answers right now. Unfortunately, it is something that needs to be really continued to be worked on at a system level in terms of how do we incorporate more of that? How do we create more flexibility uh, in regulation um, and, and be, provide more culturally re relevant services? You know, what I can say is that, you know, within the provider community, what, what we're doing, what others are doing is trying to provide the most culturally relevant treatment we can. And part of how we're doing that is by par partnering at every opportunity with families, including families in the treatment process as much as we can, even if they are remote. I mean, that's one of the nice things that's come out of, um, you know, the pandemic and all of that is uh, our, our ability to provide remote right. therapy yeah. services and include families and work with those families to, to help create that transition back to the community as quickly as possible and really just do everything we can to create that sense of partnership. All right. So it is a problem that needs a lot more work. Um, and there aren't any, I mean, it, it just seems so relevant. And I think it's across, I mean, you read about the same problems outside, um, outside of, you know, Alaska as well. And some of the, uh, the native communities, um, that are struggling with the same issue of how do you, you keep kids, uh, with culturally appropriate treatment approaches. And, um, I think, what you're saying is you're doing the best you can with what you got. 
uh, at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's known that um, Alaska Native youth and, and other minority youth are overrepresented right. in the child protection system. And so, you know, there, I think there's a lot to this topic. Uh, this, yeah. this could be your next three shows. Uh, really. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and so how, how are we engaging communities in, um, you know, providing, meeting the needs of, of children within those communities. And, and I know that it's something that, that everybody in Alaska has a real interest in. It's just a matter of aligning the systems of care to, to make that happen. So maybe I'll put a shout out to anybody that's working in these communities that's uh, trying to develop this stuff and have them on the air to talk more appropriately about that topic instead of us discussing it Absolutely. without knowing what we're talking about. Um, all right, so yeah, that's a call out uh, to someone who wants to have that uh, discussion intelligently. So um, back to sort of what we're doing here, and Josh, do you have homes? Like what's the reach of Denali Family Services like geographically, distance-wise, and what could somebody, in, are there agencies in Homer, Kenai, Fairbanks, Juno doing this work? Yeah, so there there are other agencies that are doing work down in you know Ketchikan area, Juno area. There's um, you know another KCC which is down in uh, the Ketchikan Kenai area. Um, I have read about other uh, child placement agencies such as Denali Family Services trying to expand, and okay. it's it's always been very difficult because often you have to partner with other community mental health providers in the area because the level of treatment we provide is. It requires kind of a, um, you know, people to come to the community, come to the the clinic, um, for people to be able to drive out to those homes on a regular basis. For right. for a small program like ours, relatively small as compared to the state of Alaska, you know, it, our reach isn't limited. We have you know homes primarily in Anchorage in the Matsu Valley. Um, we do you know all the communities in the Matsu Valley, kind of it's a pretty big area up to like Sutton and yeah. you know big like Houston area. Um, so we have expanded out there. Um, we also have homes in Eagle River, Eagle River and Chugiak, um, but it's still limited. And you know, I, I've um, read you know about other. Um, we tried to expand to Homer several years ago, and it was just very difficult to actually set that up and find you know homes that are willing to do it in a smaller community. Um, so it is a it is a big problem. It's a big conundrum, um, and we would love to expand and be able to provide more. Um, but right now, kind of our reach is limited to that. Okay, what kind of, or what what kid qualifies? Like, who would be an appropriate fit for like if you have a family that's got a kid who's failing in school and engaged in high risk behavior, twelve, thirteen, like what what's a good match for this program, and how does somebody qualify for it? Do you want to? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, as far as the youth goes, it's really any uh, youth ages primarily 3 through 21. Occasionally uh, you might see uh, a youth younger, but it does require a mental health diagnosis. And so that's the, the, the typical age range is uh, ages 3 through uh, t up to 21. And um, really have to either have experienced um, challenges to the extent of need requiring institutional level care, residential okay. level care, or be at risk of an out-of-home placement um, due to the, the significant challenges that they're experiencing. So 
um, yeah, they really have to kind of meet what we call the medical necessity to require that full range of wraparound services um, to be eligible for therapeutic uh, foster care. And it's really, um, you know, my understanding is it comes down to like the safety of the child and the family in the home, um, you know, and the, the the medical need. You said it can't be just a kid who's depressed and kind of struggling in school. That's not what it's for. It's for the is we used to call I don't know if it's still a term the SED youth, the severely emotionally disturbed, the kids who are having violence in the home, who are getting into drugs, who are not following, but you know they're not letting their parents parent them. So these homes are not therapeutic foster homes are not homes where OCS has come in and removed. Um, so can you clarify the difference between a therapeutic foster home and an OCS home just briefly? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there there's kind of a um, a spectrum of youth, a continuum of youth. So we do have youth that are you know in OCS custody and removed um, okay. due to abuse and neglect. Um, we also have youth that um, you know are voluntarily placed in therapeutic foster care to get additional support, you know, so that they could eventually transition back once they've learned coping skills and um, you know have improved their behaviors. Um, so really, the you're right. So the it kind of combines, therapeutic foster care combines some of the foundations of traditional foster care, you know, nurture, love, support, a safe home with, you know, the therapeutic services, um, community-based treatment. So, you know, ultimately they do, you know, have higher requirements. There's, you know, we, we treat them as professionals and, mm -hmm. you know, therefore they are reimbursed at a higher rate. There's more expectations. They're expected to, you know, bring the youth to their appointments on a regular basis. Um, they're expected to, you know, do all their trainings, open their home to people coming in and out of their home, you know, licensing supervisors, case managers, clinicians. Um, so there's 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 a lot of kind of differences there and expectations, um, but it also is a you know incredibly rewarding and a, a huge need for these youth. And ultimately, it's to you know um, address those behaviors and and uh, that the youth are uh, projecting based on the abuse that they've they've had in the past. Um, and allow them to transition back to a more normal setting eventually. Yeah, and, the, and they'll meet regularly with the therapists and possibly even engage in like family therapy with the youth because ultimately at the end of the day, right. it's about helping the youth learn to function in all environments, you know, across settings. Um, and one of the environments that they struggle the most in is in the context of relationships. And specifically those attachment relationships, those right. primary relationships in a child's life where for whatever the reason, you know, 90% of our youth have experienced some form of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, um, um, a lot of neglect. And so the youth haven't um, learned how to get their needs met in an adaptive way within the context of those relationships. And so that's really, I think, the heart, um, the heartbeat of the work of the therapeutic foster parent is, first of all, helping the youth internalize a sense of safety within the relationship, within a family setting, and then helping the youth learn how to get their needs met within that relationship in a healthy and adaptive way. Yeah, I would uh, attend family therapy sessions with the kids I worked with and went to treatment team meetings and uh, wrote progress notes. And, you know, it was really being a part of the team, but also really having that child feel important and valued um, and heard and seen, right? That was so critical uh, to, to the work that helped to like heal 
some of those uh, some of those past injuries. But um, you know, it's often said it's more important that they, you know, that they be known versus knowing what I know. That's right. Right. And, and that's one of the things that we work hard with our parents to help them adjust to too is like you know in typical parenting and and i'm a parent and we all do it it's like when our kids misbehave you know as parents we have our own emotional reaction to that we get frustrated we we feel you know dysregulated by it and we're like hey you know better like what's up but um in in therapeutic treatment parenting you know again kind of going back to the idea that so much of the behavior is caused by an emotional dysregulation i mean mm-hmm. that that is the experience of of trauma and so when kids are dysregulated they will misbehave and if you're if we're conceptualizing and understanding the behavior through the lenses of fear anxiety these types of things then our traditional parenting of like punishment consequences limit setting it's not really effective because how do you help somebody who's in a state of fear feel safe. That's right. really the way to think about how we're responding to, to, to the kids in our foster care system. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, it's professional parenting. It is. Um, it's professional parenting. It is. Okay. If you uh, were past our time for breaks, we're going to have to take one real quick. Uh, if you're just joining us, my guests today are Dan Bigley and Josh Geary from Denali Family Services. We are discussing therapeutic foster care. If you have a question or a comment for us, I will give you uh, our phone numbers when we return. Um, After this short break, we will return for more of our conversation with uh, Dan and Josh. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, my guests today are Dan Bigley and Josh Geary from Denali Family Services. We are discussing uh, therapeutic foster homes, otherwise sometimes called treatment foster homes. Um, Dan is the president and CEO, and Josh works as the director of therapeutic foster services. If you have a question for us today, uh, please call us in the next oh, five, 10 minutes. Our Anchorage phone number is 907-550-8433. You can reach us toll free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your question on the air is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Okay, we have a, a caller who's been patiently waiting for quite some time. Um, is it is it Minnie or Mimi? Uh, you're on line one. Go ahead. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. I have a question um, about the therapeutic foster care um, when children are placed in, you know, like out of Anchorage to the Nana region. And my question is. Uh, when they don't fill out for 
like OCS, like these were OCS placed children. My question is, um, when they are adding kids coming to the region, do uh, are would they be eligible for the therapeutic foster care, or do you guys reach out to our region, seeing if there's any programs? Because I know that uh, there are um, few children placed here in our village of Buckland, and I'm just wondering if you guys do reach out to the uh, parents that are not applying for a foster license, but being uh, as relative placements, are their programs eligible for them? Or? All right, uh, Minnie, thank you for that question. And that's a, we sort of touched on that earlier, how difficult that is. I think she said Buckland. Um, and what do you guys, uh, can you, either one of you, Dan, can you answer that, that question? Are there things, are we working do you have kids coming in from some of the rural communities, and then how do you reintegrate them back into their homes? Yeah, I mean, we we did kind of touch on this earlier, and in, in, you know, just in regards to some of the challenges there, the geographic barriers, the system barriers um, that need to be worked on. It's it's a real important issue in Alaska. But I will say, you know, and I'm not going to speak um, as an expert by any means on on OCS processes and in child protection system processes, but obviously. Uh, there is an obligation and a requirement to seek out family placement as a priority, uh, right. and that should always be uh, something that is done first. And then we d- we do and have um, licensed those homes uh, for specific childrens as well. Um, if 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 the youth is in need of of that level of care, and and uh, the parent is interested, or the the caregiver, I should say, is interested in in having that type of support and training in regards to ha- how best meet the mental health needs of uh, of the youth in their care. And that is the child specific home that Josh, you were talking about earlier. So, yeah. if an aunt or a cousin or even a, a close family friend, does it have to be? relative i mean if it's a family friend like exactly that child can request that that home get licensed yep exactly okay um this is an interesting question one that i hadn't really thought about do you all ask the kids what kind of home they want to be introduced to for all you know they'd like something specific or different <laughs> like i mean do the kids get any say in oh, they do where yeah. they go yeah yeah that's part of the meet and greet process and you know the especially kids that are old enough to advocate for themselves right. a lot of times they do have you know the right to you know ask for a new foster home or you know pick and kind of choose or look at different um I mean, part of the matching process is not just matching the youth up to the parents. It's matching the youth to the family or matching the youth to the other youth that are currently in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a family has younger children, right. it's not going to be an aggressive kid, mm-hmm. um, that sort of stuff. I mean, this isn't just for people without children. There's a lot of foster homes that have their own children in the home as well. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So we take that into consideration based on the history, you know, the, the behaviors of the youth before we make the placement. Um, so if they, you know, are good around dogs or want a dog, that's also something we take into consideration. So there's a lot of factors and uh, the youth certainly do have, you know, the right to kind of, to some degree within, you know, the, the scope of what we can provide. Um, 
to, yeah. to kind of pick and choose. Also the interest and activity level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some homes that, um, you know, spend a lot of time out on the rivers and fishing in the summertime, berry picking, that type of thing. And, and we're always kind of t- keeping those things uh, in mind when we're considering um, a good match. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, one of the kids that I took had been out of state for a long time uh, in Colorado and, and could not find a home that would take him because he was very big and aggressive and um but he was from a village way up the Nushkak river and um we took him into our home and we got a boat and we spent a lot of time on the rivers he went dip netting with us um and built you know you'd get to a campsite down the river and you'd say okay we need wood and this kid was gone and you would have a pile of wood that was mm-hmm. 10 feet high and he would set up his own tent and he would fish and it, like never had any problems with him out there right mm-hmm. in the city we would have behavioral challenges but when he was out doing what he loved to do it was uh it was a remarkable shift so that match was uh was really well for a couple of years um we are rapidly running out of time i really appreciate all the callers and the emails i do want to make sure we have enough time to do what um you know dan reached out and said we need sort of a call to action and i would like to have you guys give the opportunity i'll give the opportunity i mean the shout out from uh, as an ex-foster parent how incredibly rewarding and powerful this work um, can be and meaningful and impactful um, on youth. Uh, even, you know, I've done therapy with kids and been a therapeutic foster parent, and there's really no comparison, like, to to the amount of time and energy and to being a professional parent. It's a powerful experience and, and good for them and was really good for me and something I'll never forget. Um, so worth looking into. And, and Dan, how do people look into this and who might want to take this leap? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely takes a special person. Um, and it's, it's oftentimes a job that, you know, very few children or adolescents are going to thank you uh, for, for doing this job until much later. Until like, later, a, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times they'll get the calls later on and say, wow, you really made a difference. And, and that's really the type of person that we're looking for is that person that really wants to make a difference in their communities, in a child's life. I know for me, you know, just the idea of uh, leaving some some prints in the sand, so to speak, mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of just making an impact uh, is something that gives me a, a great sense of purpose. Um, and that's really, I think, what the type of person that we're looking for. Um, and obviously somebody who, who loves kids um, and is wanting to be a part of a solution in our communities here in Alaska. So as far, you know, I'll also just say like, with no sense of commitment, you know, if you just want to call and get more information, call right. and have a conversation, please do. Um, give us a call at Denali Family Services, give the Alaska Center for Resource Families, or any agency in your community that's providing these services um, a call and get involved in the foster care system in some way because there are plenty of kids, uh, there's plenty of need in our communities. and. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's ultimately um, our goal at Denali is uh, supporting the mental health and well-being of children and families. A quick Google search of therapeutic foster care brings up a list um, of providers and information and resources. Um, there are a number of agencies doing it here in town um, and maybe check in your community and see if there is, is something going on there. Um, 
Josh, what are your uh, your thoughts? Like as a, as the director of this, like who are you looking for? What are you what are you hoping for from this show? Like, I know you want like I don't know seventy five more really good homes, something. Like that. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, ultimately we look for people that are you know nurturing, caring, patient, and resilient. Um, you know, I think the mistake that a lot of people make going in is thinking that, you know, as long as they provide love and support that the youth is going to do a complete, you know, 180 within the first few weeks. Um, and it takes a lot more time than that. We have to understand that, you know, these youth have complex trauma and they've had multiple placements at times and multiple broken relationships, which, you know, leads to them having trust issues with adults. So we have to break through that. We have to really be patient and resilient. Um, I had an email that asked about reactive attachment disorder, RAD, and that was a term that was pretty popular a while back. And doesn't and does that come across your your desk as a diagnosis much anymore? Or but that's exactly what you just mentioned: attachment problems, trust issues, mm-hmm. and that's something. So are these kids like I chronically think- attachment? I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it used to be sort of like the hot topic of yeah. du jour. Um, but really, yes, we see that diagnosis, but very few kids actually meet the full criteria for it. It's really about having those attachment-related challenges. Like I said, I was talking about earlier, learning to navigate and get your needs met within the context of relationships um, and, and learning to have healthy attachments. And so... While that can be extremely challenging work, um, because as you know, for youth that are reactive um, yeah. to, to attachments, to attachment relationships, uh, the very course of developing a relationship is going to increase the anxiety of that youth and make them feel less and less safe because they know that they can't, that the relationship can't be trusted, that it can't be consistent and, and, and predictable, that they will get hurt. And, and so our work is to be exactly that, consistent and predictable and safe. And over time, we can change um, those internal working models of relationships. We can help shift and create a sense of safety, help them learn to navigate that relationship. And the change we make can last for generations. All right. I did have another email about the assessment process. It was from an OCS worker. Kids go through an assessment process, Josh, to really screen them out for appropriateness for foster care. They do, yes. Yeah, and most of our referrals come from, you know, OCS or North Star. All right. That's all the time we have for today. I thank my guests, Dan Bigley and Josh Geary from Denali Family Services. Thanks so much to both of you for taking the time out. This is an important discussion, and I would encourage anyone, as Dan said, to just reach out and find out. There's probably some foster parents that they can talk to um, who will give them the lowdown. My thanks to Amon Swenson for producing today's program and to our audio engineer, uh, who I do not recognize. But... uh, (laughs) Thank you anyway. Until next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.